Friends, it is good to be back. Um, I have some good news to share this morning, and that is that the waves in El Salvador were perfect, uh, and me and my buddy Justin uh, had some great sessions. I, I should have put a, a picture up here. And guys, I'm actually going to incorporate the reading of Scripture into the message this morning. I forgot to take that out of the presentation so we can go to the transition slide. Uh, But we had a great time, and it was wonderful to have a friend there with me to share that experience. Um, And I'm wondering, uh, when is the last time that you had good news to share? What do you think about that? When is the last time that you had good news to share? Maybe you or a loved one got a promotion at work, or even better, maybe you retired. (laughs) Um, Perhaps a child or a grandchild graduated from high school or college or got married, and you got that news and were excited to share it with others. Maybe there is a new baby in the family. Uh, Maybe the cancer went into remission, or the results of the medical tests were better than you expected. Regardless, when we have good news to share, or when we get good news, what's the first thing that we want to do? We want, we want to share that with someone else. On Thursday, when I was traveling back from El Salvador, right before I got on the plane in San Salvador, uh, my son Jackson sent me a message and said, can you talk? And I said, well, I'm, I'm about to get on the airplane. And he said, well, call me as soon as you can. Um, And uh, so when I landed and got through customs, and if you've been through customs, you know you can't can't have your cell phone out. They won't allow you. So I had to get off the airplane, get through customs, uh, got my luggage, and then retrieved my car, and I gave him a call. And he was so excited, bubbling over to share that he got into Appalachian State College, which is where he wanted to go so that he can study computer science. And this not only made him happy uh, to experience that, it made him really happy to share it with me, it made me happy to hear it, and it was almost like as the experience was shared with each other, the energy and the joy in between us grew exponentially as we talked and celebrated together. And this is not only true with big things like graduations, weddings, babies, and retirement, it's also true of small things in life. So as I just mentioned, I went to El Salvador on a surf trip, and my friend Justin was, uh, was going with me. And when I got to the airport, um, and I saw the line at the ticket counter, and then I saw the line uh, through the security clearing, um, it was absolutely insane. I've, I've never seen it that crowded in my whole life, and I thought that Justin might miss his flight because he had car trouble that morning and was running late. In fact, it was so bad that Bay News 9 was there covering how crowded it was in the Orlando airport. And if you've ever um, been to the Orlando airport, there's two different places on both sides of the airport where you go through security. And the line was so long that not only was the whole maze filled, but it backed up on both sides past the food court. I mean, it was crazy. And I thought to myself, Justin is not going to be able to make this trip, which really bummed me out because one of the things that makes the trip so fun is to have someone to experience it with, someone that you can share waves with. So when he's in a better position for me to say, go, Justin, go, that brings me 
almost as much joy as when I'm on that wave, right? And to be able to trade waves and then uh, to, to call back and talk to my family and kind of re-experience it as I tell that story, to share pictures with family and friends on social media, all of that makes the trip better. And I probably would have had fun, but not nearly as much fun if I had gone by myself. But the main idea here is that whether it's something big or something small, when we get good news, we want to share it. And the same is true when it comes to the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. Can somebody say amen? When have you experienced overwhelming challenges in your life and there was another in the fire? There was another holding back the seas. There was another that was with you, helping you to put one foot in front of the other so that you didn't lose hope and give up. When has God been at work in your life, in your family, in your circle of friends? And many of us know this by experience, but all of us can know by reading Scripture that the good news is intended to be shared. While the whole New Testament is about the story of people who found good news in Jesus and wanted to share it with others, I want to focus on a specific passage this morning, which is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 43. And I know the slides are out of order, guys, but you've already got it up. You're one step ahead of me. Thank you. And this, this is a, a brief snapshot of how a couple of the disciples came to follow Jesus, and this is what it says. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. From Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, say this with me, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So in this passage, we see how Jesus directly calls Philip by saying, come and follow me. But what I want you to notice is what Philip does right afterwards. This is the important point I want to make this morning. After saying yes to Jesus, Philip goes and finds Nathanael. Note that he doesn't wait until he runs into Nathanael, right? Nor does he wait for Nathanael to come to him. And then say, oh, yeah, yeah, there's something I need to tell you. No, it says that he went looking for Nathaniel. And when he finds him, 
he shares the good news that he has found the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel, the salvation of the world. And then, in the face of Nathaniel's skepticism, Philip extends a simple invitation. Come and see. Say that with me. Come and see. In this story, Nathaniel comes to Jesus because Philip went looking for him and shared the good news with a simple invitation. Come and see. And this is still how most people come to Jesus today. Someone invites them by practicing incarnational hospitality, which is the theme of the whole series, incarnational hospitality. Statistically, 60 to 80% of people who come to church and find Jesus do so because they were personally invited by a friend who had some good news to share about what Jesus had done for them. As was the case with Nathaniel, who said after hearing Philip's invitation, can anything good come from Nazareth? When we invite people to come and see what God is doing in our lives and in our churches, we are sometimes met with skepticism. But many people check this skepticism when the invitation comes from someone that they know and someone that they trust. And when they actually encounter Jesus in their own lives, the skepticism gives way to faith and radical transformation and love. If there is one thing that we know for certain, my friends, from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the current day, is that people still come to Jesus because friends invite them. But we're not talking about friends on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. While advances in technology create digital connections with people all over the world, and we have more so-called friends, which are more accurately called followers than ever, many people have also never been lonelier. Despite the fact that we are digitally connected with more people than we can possibly remember, let alone know, let alone manage, some studies show that we feel increasingly unseen, unheard, and alone. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can be surrounded by people online. You can even be surrounded by people at a party or in a room and feel completely alone. And this leads to a very important distinction that many of us have lost between a connection or a contact and a true friend. And the key ingredient to true friendship, which makes it different from the other kinds of superficial connections, is trust. It's trust. So what is trust? To answer this question, it may be helpful to turn the word into an acronym, and we have this as a slide this morning. So let's start with T. Trust is grounded in truth. So the T, the first T is truth. It's being willing to speak truth into someone's life, which is a risky thing to do, isn't it? 
Because even when we have good intentions and we do it in love, when we tell someone the truth, we risk being rejected. We risk having conflict. But trust requires us to be willing to speak truth into people's lives. Trust also requires reliability. This is making ourselves available to people both in good times and in bad. Making ourselves available to people when it is convenient for us and also when it is inconvenient for us. Trust requires understanding. And I believe in the, that the culture in which we live, which has been progressively developing since the 1960s, that this idea of understanding is perhaps one of the biggest challenges that we face in almost all of our most important relationships. Because we are so consumed with making sure that people understand us that we have a really hard time creating space to understand them. And as I'm preaching this morning, I'm reminded of of a prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, and one of the lines is, help me to understand more than be understood. This is hard, and there's so much conflict, political conflict and religious conflict and all kind of conflict going on that, we, that, that this problem of wanting other people to understand us first before we make ourselves vulnerable to understand them entrenches us in all kinds of conflict and debates on social media and you know discussing the hot topics that charge our culture today it just digs us in and makes it worse but trust requires understanding and this means not just insisting that somebody else understand me but it's about us being intentional in terms of understanding how another person thinks. What is the other person's point of view? What brings them joy? What breaks their heart? What's playing out in their lives? Trust also requires support. We offer ourselves and our resources to help meet a person's need. And we often think of this in terms of monetary help or giving people food, but friends, if one of the number one problems that we face in this affluent country that we're so blessed to live in, if one of the number one needs is to be understood, to be loved, to have a friend, to have a deep, authentic connection, then it means not only offering our financial resources, it not only means showing up physically and offering physical resources, it also means offering our emotional and spiritual resources to encourage and help and love people. And then finally, you can't have trust without time. Time is one of the most valuable commodities in the busy world that we live in. And if we're going to develop trust, then we have to spend time with people and not doing superficial things like just watching football games or talking about the weather or catching a few waves, but actually spending time getting to know the other person. Again, to see the joys and concerns that are playing out in their lives, to give people time to develop the relationship to go deeper. And here's the thing, guys. What I've just explained about trust is not unique to the Christian faith, right? 
This is something that we have figured out as human beings, uh, not only through different religious traditions and philosophies, but also in psychology and sociology. Like this is just, what I'm sharing right now is kind of something that all of us can agree on whether we're followers of Jesus or not. And so what makes this uniquely Christian? Well, it's how we put it all together. It has to do with the way that we live our lives. And if we put all this together and we live our lives in a way that is reflective of the hospitality of God in Jesus, is reflective of the life and teachings of Jesus, then our development of trust through these practices, God can use it in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we actually become the presence of Jesus to another person. And then, when we have walked the walk, when we have done the things that we have preached about and we develop that friendship and we develop that credibility, then when we invite someone to come and see what God is doing in and through our lives and our churches, then they are more likely to explore that invitation. There's a word that I want you to say with me as I go through this litany in just a minute and it is the word way. Somebody say way. The way that we speak the truth. The way that we make ourselves available. The way that we seek understanding. The way that we offer support. The way that we give our time. All of this should reflect the life and teachings of Jesus. It is no coincidence, my friends, that the earliest followers of Jesus were not called Christians. Do you know what they were called? They were called people of the way. The earliest followers of Jesus were called people of the way because following Jesus marked out an entirely new way of life that affected everything, how we sleep, how we eat, how we talk, how we engage people, how we do our work. The way that we live our lives matters. The way that we treat people matters. The way that we develop trust matters. And if our relationship with Jesus does not make a difference in the way that we live our lives, and it's going to be extremely difficult to convince people that having a relationship with Jesus is worthwhile. But if the way we develop friendships and build trust with others reflects the way that Jesus has done this for us, then the simple act of being someone's friend can itself be an invitation to follow Jesus. Your life can become the invitation. And when we have an opportunity to share the good news of how Jesus has helped us and we invite them to come and see what God is doing in the life of our church, then we will have real credibility, a credibility that comes from having built trust. And again, this is all about practicing incarnational hospitality. So I want to encourage all of you to do something that 
we've already asked you to do many times before. As you build deep and authentic friendships with others and model for them what God's love looks like in Jesus, we want you to invite them to come and see. Say that with me. Come and see. To come and see what God has done in your life by telling your story. We've already talked about this. I'm not going to go into it, but we have a very distorted idea of what it means to tell our story because many of us growing up in the church were bombarded by so-called evangelists who operated like someone making a cold call for the Police Benevolent Association. We're just kind of going on with our life, and they grab us and stop, kind of interrupt what we're doing, and then in a very confrontational way say, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And if we're kind of caught off guard, and if we don't give a definite yes and have the day and the time, then they pull out a track, and they quote a bunch of Scripture and try to lead us to being able to make a profession because they're scared that if we don't do that right then and right there that we're going to go to hell. And that doesn't feel good to a lot of people, right? And that's not what I'm asking any of you to do. What I'm asking you to do is to live a life the best you can with the grace of God, to live your life in a way that reflects the life and teachings of Jesus, and then when you encounter people who get curious about your way of life, God only asks you to do one thing. Jesus only asks you to do one thing, and that is to tell the part of your story that will connect with them and give them hope and hopefully connect them with Jesus. So if someone comes to you and they've been through a divorce, and you've been, or they're going through a divorce, and you've been through a divorce too, to be able to say, would it be okay for me to share my story? And you talk about how difficult and how painful that was, and then not just stopping there to empathize, but then being able to say, and let me tell you what God did for me to get me through that terrible time and how God put my life back together and how God gave me something new, something better, how God redeemed that situation. And then that person might think, well, if Jesus did that for you, maybe Jesus can do that for me. So again, it's not breaking out of track. It's not being an expert on scripture. It's not giving a systematic theology speech, right? It's not even about telling your whole story because nobody, no matter how special you think it is, wants to hear your whole story all at one time. It's about letting the Holy Spirit guide you and telling the part of your story that can connect you with them and through you connect them with Jesus. And we need to be inviting people to come and see what God has done in our lives. Or by inviting them, if that's not comfortable for you, and you're still trying to figure out your story and learn how to tell your story, to invite them to come and see what God is doing through the life of our church. Come and see. Come to church with me. Phil mentioned in his message last week that the average person who attends a United Methodist, United Methodist Church, invites someone to a worship service about once every 38 years. And we wonder why the Methodist Church has been in steady decline since the 1960. In the famous words of Jeff Foxworthy, here's your sign. We don't invite people. We develop all these friendships and we never talk about Jesus. We never talk about what God has done in our life. We never invite them to come to church. And we wonder why we, our denomination has been in decline. And I think that a number one reason is that we're, we're substituting so-called friendships online with deep, authentic friendship, real friendship, and because we're not inviting people. And then local churches shrink, and then local churches close, and then churches in our area become increasingly irrelevant. 
And when people have problems, instead of coming to their Christian friends or their pastor or their church, they go somewhere else. They go to the bookstore and they buy a self-help book or they go to a counselor or they go to all other religions, right? And, and I'm not saying that any, you know, let me tell you, I have a psychologist on speed dial, right? I've been doing therapy since I was about 19 years old, consistently. And I think that psychologists are an incredible gift of God. I think that all the social sciences are an incredible gift for God. But there should be something about our relationship with God, which is made possible by Jesus, there should be something about that relationship that we get that we can't find anywhere else. And once we find that, why wouldn't we want to share that secret with somebody else? Just as Jesus called Philip, so Jesus calls us. And just as Philip went and found Nathaniel and invited him, so we are called to go out and find other people and invite them too. And that's how we continue to share the good news. That's how the Christian faith continues from one generation to the next. That's how our churches continue from one generation to the next. We live on the Space Coast, but this is not rocket science. And there are too many people that are waiting around. And I'm not talking just about this church. I'm talking about churches everywhere. There are people who are sitting in the pews and they're watching their churches thin out and get empty day after day after day. And their number one question is, what's the pastor gonna do to grow my church? And then they get rid of that pastor and get another one. Why isn't that pastor growing my church? We'll get rid of him and get another one. And after they try over and over and over again, slowly but surely, the church closes and it becomes a really eclectic, hip restaurant. What do you think is gonna happen if you and everyone else is waiting on another person to share what God is doing and inviting the church? There's a, a, a lady in a, my first appointment named Phyllis Faust. Phyllis, if you're watching, I love you and I miss you. And she had a saying that was so simple but so powerful. I just want you to think about this. If every Christian acted like me, what kind of church would it be? I just want to say that again. If every Christian acted like me, what kind of church would it be? Friends, the way that you live your life and develop deep, authentic connections, it's foundational. We've been talking about that in this series and also in the Blessed series, but we cannot overstate how important it is for you to know and share your story and to do it in ways that connect with people, not ways that offend or alienate or make people feel weird, but just to do it to build friendships and to share your story in natural and authentic ways with people who need to hear it, and we can't overstate the importance of you guys inviting people to come and see what God is doing to the life of our church. And a church that refuses to do that, and the church is not this building, the church is you, a church that refuses to do that is a church that will die. There will not be a church for a future generation. So we encourage you to continue to develop deep and authentic relationships with other Christians who can provide support and direction. And not only for you to develop that, but for you to invite other people to experience that gift too. People need support. They need more than just your friendship. 
they need an army. <laughs> they need an army of the people of God to support them and to stand by them, to stand in the fire and to fight with them throughout their life. And while we want you to be open to anyone that God may bring into your path, we also want you to be aware of certain situations in which people might need more support and who might be more receptive to hearing your story and hearing your invitation. These are sometimes called thin places, and they refer to times of major transition or change. When people get married, for example, if they're not attending church, they often start thinking about the spiritual dimension of their connection, and they desire God's blessing and help, and so this can prompt them to seek out a church for the wedding ceremony, and if that church and the people in that church are offering support to them, and they're doing things that help them in early in their marriage, they just might stick around. When people have children, and they start thinking about their moral upbringing, sometimes they become open to ways the church might help through the children's ministries which can lead them through the doors on Sunday morning. Many people also seek help in church when they experience a painful loss, the loss of a job, a divorce, the death of a loved one, or the loss of friends and family when they relocate to a new city. And finally, as people age and deal with health concerns, they often need a good friend and some extra help. And if you have experienced any of these things yourself, and my assumption is that everybody in this room has had a time that they've experienced that, you might remember how they created unique challenges and vulnerabilities in your life. And maybe someone loved you enough to come alongside of you, to be a friend, to offer encouragement and support. And maybe if they knew Jesus, part of this encouragement and support was that they shared stories of similar troubles and how God got them through it and then invited you to come and become a part of a new group of friends that could be a new support system, that could rally around you and help move you through that difficult time. And if someone has done this for you, as people have done this for me, then the best way that we say thank you is by doing this for someone else. You pay it forward. So who are the people in your life who are in these thin places? Where are these people in your life? God wants you to see them don't just ignore them. Don't just pass by them as the Pharisees did with the Good Samaritan, which Phil preached about last Sunday. God wants you to see them. God wants you to engage them, to witness to the presence of God and their situation and to share the story of how God has worked in your life and to invite them to become part of a group of friends that can help. And all of this is what it means to practice divine hospitality incarnational hospitality. All of this is part of what it means to love others as God has loved you and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel this morning.